This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Martalker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 14 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is Part 3 in our series on Robert Hewitt Wolf, where we will be looking at his third television project, Andromeda. I'm Mike, and Max is on an away mission to Florida to uh, plan his Kunat Khalifi or wedding for you non-Vulcans. <laughs> but in his place, we have Colin of Melodic Treks. How's it going, Colin? Hi. I, I should have said hi on Max at the start, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> that would have just confused people that way too just, much. Yeah. <laughs> Th- thanks a lot for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. I don't want to worry you, but if Max is, 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 has found his mate, then doesn't he have to try and kill his captain? I'm not his captain. Uh, I don't know, but maybe <laughs> Chris might need to to watch out, though. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we'll have to send an email to Chris. <laughs> Increase security. Keep, keep keep an eye out. Yeah, this is actually the first time that we've revisited a uh, project on uh, commentary Trek stars. Uh, we we did Andromeda way way back in episode eight of the show. We did it with you uh, and Max. When we were doing our our series on uh, Gene Roddenberry uh, TV shows, yeah. So we're we're gonna try our best not to repeat ourselves that much. We, we there's some stuff that we need to get through, you know, just uh, basic things which which will be a repeat of of before. But if you want sort of a more in depth look at the show on the whole, go back to episode eight and check that out. Even though it is from a, a more Roddenberry perspective. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, one episode in particular. But before we do that, let's give some background info on the show and, and, and our thoughts on, on the series in general. So this was, quote-unquote, created by Gene Roddenberry. but kind of. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in reality, it was created by Robert Hewitt Wolf. You know, I mean... Back when Gene Roddenberry was alive, that guy could not get a show that wasn't named Star Trek on the air to save his life. I mean, we went through every single series that he did, and there was only, I think, one actual series, and the rest were just failed pilots. Yeah. And, like, of those shows, I think, like, 75 of them were versions of what would eventually become Andromeda. There there was a show called uh, Genesis 2, which was about a character uh, named Dylan Hunt who basically is cryogenically frozen or something like that in a cave where there's like a, a nuclear war and basically he wakes up in the future and now it's post-apocalyptic and it's kind of like Andromeda but instead of in space it's in sort of a Planet of the Apes type future. 
I think the difference was Dylan Hunt in, in Genesis was a scientist. Right, he was. He was working on a way to develop uh, stasis for astronauts who are on long-term space flights. And he was trying it in this cave. And while he was trying it down in this cave, the apocalypse came. And when he woke up, or when he was woken up, it was, you know, I, I don't remember if it was 300 years in the future or whatever it was, but now all of a sudden he's, you know, a man out of time, much like Dylan Hunt is. It's just that it's skewing much more in the future to begin with. So he's. Yeah, it was 300 years in both. Right, okay. So this was a concept which which Roddenberry had been trying to get made forever there 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 were a million different incarnations of it some that that he wasn't even involved with and the there were i think a number of story ideas which were developed as well and in the 90s when you had the next generation era with you know not one but two shows on the air for Star Trek Gene Roddenberry's name became uh, quite a hot commodity and there were a lot of products which were quote unquote created by Gene Roddenberry. There were comic books, there was Earth Final Conflict and then there was Andromeda. But Andromeda was developed by Robert Hewitt Wolfe and according to him it was a fusion of the Genesis 2 concept along with a uh, one-page concept for a show about a sentient spaceship that that Roddenberry had created, which honestly is a lot more created by Gene Roddenberry than I think Earth Final Conflict was. I don't know if this guy was kidding, but (laughs) one of the writers on the show literally said that Earth Final Conflict came off of the back of a napkin. So, so yeah. uh, (laughs) I've heard that. However, all of the the characters and the different uh, alien races and and whatnot, you know, all of that was was Robert Hewitt Wolf. It's very much more Robert Hewitt Wolf's show than Gene Roddenberry's. Yeah, he took elements of Planet Earth as well, which was the other yeah. incarnation that never happened. Planet Earth is kind of like the where no man has gone before to Genesis Two. Yeah, it's weird because it it it's a different continuity like a different actor playing the lead and everything like that but it really is kind of like this guy already woke up you know whereas the first one is sort of the nuts and bolts of how he got into the future the second one is like you guys have seen genesis 2 you know we're we're just going to move on and and do what would have been episode 2 of genesis 2 but is in fact episode 1 of planet earth and then there was another one after that where they did it again where they but this time they c- came from space or something i don't know I don't yeah. know. It's At least they never went confusing. down the book Rogers Rose. If, if you want more specific background on this and not just misrememberings by, by us, go back to the very first few episodes of, of commentary Trek Stars, and we, we dedicate episodes to each of these things. So, um, yeah, you can follow the progression right along with us. Yeah. And it's full of spoilers. It is. And today will probably be full of spoilers, too. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do I guess people do listen to these without having seen the thing it's a weird it's a weird thing that we're because we're trying to shine a light on these things so that people go out and 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 seek out other other uh works that that they may not have been exposed to you know star trek fans but at the same time if we want to have a meaningful discussion on it we really kind of have to talk about it well in all honesty andromeda did finish nine years ago 
That's true. I mean, that's the thing, right? Yeah. So, spoilers, but not really. No. Okay. (laughs) So, Colin, for those people who haven't seen Andromeda, could you sort of tell us what the show is? Yeah. Uh, Basically, Andromeda is set thousands of years in the future uh, around the system's commonwealth, so basically the Federation on steroids, because it doesn't just scan... Uh, the Alpha Quadrant, the system Commonwealth scans three galaxies. Yeah. Uh, and the only way to get round these galaxies is by a method called Slipstream, uh, which is the weirdest space effect I've ever seen on a TV show for travelling through the stars. It is literally like someone's riding a string. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's weird, weird special effects. But the interesting thing about it is, despite the fact that in Star Trek where it's the Federation and it's Federation Council and stuff like that in Andromeda it's a monarchy right so you have a constitutional monarchy um, which runs the entire Commonwealth and then you have the High Guard which is for all intents and purposes the Federation uh, and then you've got various other factions like the Magog who are I suppose the easiest way to describe them would be a bat yeah kind of a furry bat yeah um, who lead living hosts for their young? So um, they're kind of like, kind of like uh, the. I'm going to say xenomorphs in Alien, even though Max would kill me for saying that. Yes, and I dare say he will when he listens. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But they um, basically there's there's a war. There's the the Nietzscheans um, who are based on Frederick Nietzsche's philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, rise up against the High Guard, which is the Federation. There's a big battle. Uh, the Commonwealth falls. Uh, Dylan Hunt, in one of the ba- in one of the battles, is thrown into the elliptic outside of a black hole. So he's frozen inside for 300 years. And when he's eventually pulled out, 300 years later, the Commonwealth's fallen. All three galaxies are in a mess. The Magog have descended on what was left of the human race and used them as hosts for their young. Uh, the Nietzscheans are a spent force and the galaxies in ruins all three galaxies and the galaxies are the Milky Way Andromeda and Triangulum and it's all fell apart and Dylan Hunt in the best uh, Babylon 5 stay is the last best hope for peace yes he has decided to take it upon himself to rebuild the commonwealth from scratch and season 1 uh, like a lot of season ones is very hit and miss mm-hmm. there's some terrible episodes but there's some brilliant episodes and the one that we're going to talk about is a brilliant episode yes but before we get there um, Wolf ran the show for the first year and a half before uh, clashing with the studio over the direction of the series he wanted it to be more continuity driven and uh, more of an ensemble show and they wanted uh, standalone stories that focused on Kevin Sorbo's character, Dylan Hunt, the captain. So because of that, Wolf left the show, and it, it went in a, from what I understand, completely different direction than he had originally intended. Is that right? Yeah, he he wanted to um, not base the show around one captain, i.e. like Star Trek does. He wanted to go more of the DS9 routes where it's a crew. 
um, and he wanted to explore the different as assets of the crew and diversify, which gives you more storylines, more branch lines, and so on and so forth. And he wanted to do episodic stories, whereas the network wanted Dylan Hunt to be Captain Kirk and every episode to be like TNG, yeah. but it's self-contained. Right. And, you know, I mean, just on paper, you, you listen to what his plans for the show were and, and what uh, the, the studio's plans for the show were, and it's like, clearly, Robert Hewitt Wolf had the better idea for <laughs> the direction of this show. Yeah. And There's a quote from Kevin Sorbo about it. Uh, oh, really? Kevin Sorbo says that um, Wolf was a brilliant, gifted writer who unfortunately didn't know how to work with the network. Yeah. Well, I could see that. I mean, first time as a showrunner, I mean, it's it's got to be an, a, a really tough learning curve. And, you know, I mean, sure, he was working with, with Bear, you know, Iris Stephen Bear, and learning from the best but at the same time when you're out on your own it's got to be tough yeah however it seems like uh, history would would seem to back up uh, wolf's side of the argument because if you go to geos which is not exactly the most whatever site in the world but whatever <laughs> it gives you kind of an idea of at least how the general public perceives uh, television shows um four of the top five shows in, in the uh, Geos ratings are from Wolf's run. So a year and a half produced four of the five best episodes and the next three and a half years produced one of the five best episodes. So what does that tell you? I don't know. So, so Colin, what are your thoughts on Andromeda in general? I think Andromeda was a brilliant uh, concept which you know, you have to develop. You have to credit the fact that Wolf developed it. So essentially, yeah. the ground, uh, the foundation is Wolf's foundation. You get. I, I got hooked on series one because I thought this is brilliant. You know, the writing was good. The, the stories were good. Uh, you had some of the mystery with some of the characters, uh, which if you want to hear about the characters, folks, go listen to the other episode because otherwise we'll be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> But the actual the actual execution of the series was, was brilliant in season one. You think this is really going to go somewhere? And when season one finished, you know, especially being in Britain, where we have to, where at that point we was like six months behind America on everything, <laughs> um, knowing that I would have to wait essentially near enough a year for it to come back, I was thinking, oh God, no, this this is really good. And then Wolf left, and and. The entire show changed in such... It wasn't even a subtle change. It was a massive change. Yeah, for me, I, I'd never watched the show when it first came on. You know, it, it came out while I was in college, and I was focused on watching things like Almost Famous and, and the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie, and I, I didn't really have time for the new uh, syndicated television series starring Kevin Sorbo. You know, I mean, we talked before about... <laughs> Captain Hercules and whatnot, and uh, I, I just kind of like saw it as as a joke more than anything when when uh, I I saw the advertisements and stuff like that. And I think also part of that is because I was kind of burned by Earth Final Conflict. Like I was like, oh, the new series created by Gene Roddenberry. Let's check this out, and that didn't work out too well. So yeah, I, I never Earth, I never Earth kind of Final Conflict went really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, I never uh, watched it when, when, when it first came on, but I, I did uh, watch it. I watched a, a, a few episodes 
um, back when we did this thing and then I, I picked up the entire first season and a half uh, just recently and and made my way through those and, and I was actually impressed I it, it does take a while to get going it, it takes a while to sort of like figure out the tone and and sort of the uh, aesthetic qualities of it and, mm-hmm. and sort of reconcile those but once you I won't say get past that but once you embrace it uh, you, you start seeing that like the writing, for example, is you know just as good as, as Star Trek. I mean, which shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, when you look at the people involved with this, I mean, Robert Hewitt Wolf, you've got Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stentz, who have gone on to write some amazing movies and t- TV shows. Uh, they did you know Thor and, and X Men First Class, which are both fantastic. And it, it's it's not at all surprising that this show is good. It's just sort of the the idea of you know once you give it a try you you realize that that there's more going on beneath the surface than than you had originally thought and i mean even like with kevin sorbo where i just sort of dismissed it as like oh look at he's just a pretty guy who played hercules no he's really good you know there's there's at no point in the in in the in the uh show where i was like what's wrong with kevin sorbo no he's he's just as good as uh, anyone on say a star trek show or anything like that see i didn't have to worry about watching it over here because we did, we don't have syndication there yeah so when i was in when i was in college when this was on we only had we only had like five channels <laughs> so your options were limited yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we I haven't got an- the 500 tv channels that you guys have got so Right, I had enough time trying to to figure out when Deep Space Nine was on, and that that sort of broke me as a, as a television viewer. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't commit, especially not to. <laughs> yeah. To see, I always, I always remember growing up as a kid, and it was like when you when you see American TV, and they just the TV controller was just up and down <laughs> for the channels, and I used to think, why have they just got up and down? Why haven't they got numbers? And then I found out considerably later, the reason you have up and down is because there's too many numbers. Yeah, so. you can't even you don't you don't even remember the numbers. You just scroll through until you find something. Yeah. So what we're going to look at today is the sixth episode of Andromeda, which was entitled "Angel Dark Demon Bright." Now, going back to those Geos ratings, this was ranked number two by by viewers of the show in terms of quality. And the reason why we're going to look at this episode is not only because it is considered to be one of the best of the show, and not only because Robert Hewitt Wolf wrote it himself, but also because, according to Wolf, uh, this episode originally started out as an episode of DS9. So we thought, since we've already been over the show on the whole, maybe uh, the, the, the idea for this particular episode of our show would be to uh, focus this and kind of compare this to deep space nine and see similarities or differences or how it could work and maybe uh, shed some light on similarities or differences between andromeda and star trek so in this episode angel dark demon bright andromeda is thrown back in time to a point where a critical battle is about to be fought right before the fall of the commonwealth now they're faced with the reality that they are destined to play a major role in an attack which will kill 100,000 people. So, Colin, what, what were your thoughts on, on this episode? Well, you're not a science fiction show unless you do time travel. <laughs> yes. 
you know, every science fiction show at some point does time travel. Mm-hmm. And some of them do it badly, some of them do it well. I think the the, the way the time travel happened, um, personally, uh, I think that it wasn't an accident. The way they got back in time, I think she deliberately took them back in time. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but I think the way that the, the time travel happened was plausible. You know, it's essentially the same as, and for those that have seen it uh, in TOS, where they get a problem with the warp drive and they accidentally go into time warp. Yeah. Uh, essentially, what they do in this one is she's learning how to fly the ship in slipstream and makes an error of judgment and it becomes a time slipstream. Yeah. So the, the techno babble, you know, towards science fiction geeks is perfectly plausible. Right. As good as anything else. Yeah. But I personally think she deliberately took them there bearing in mind you know what we know of who she is now that you know the series has progressed and it's finished and we know who she really is yeah that's an interesting uh, idea yeah but yeah as an episode I think it's brilliant and I could easily easily see uh, this ship being the Defiant mm-hmm. yeah I mean I yeah I, I liked the episode a lot too I, I think it's the the best episode out of the ones that I, I saw by far and and it was really sort of the first point in in watching the series where I was like, wow, you know, I did not think that this show could go to these places. But if it if it can go here, then it can go anywhere, you know. And and now I'm now it's now it has my attention, you know. And I I think that uh, it's a lot you know darker than most of, of the show, and it presents a very interesting moral quandary. You know, the idea of are you destined to kill these people these i mean and it's a hundred thousand people which is just obviously an unfathomable figure and is that for the greater good is that what you're supposed to do how do you know that you're supposed to do that what if you're wrong even if you're right how do you live with that i mean this is a, a lot of like really really deep stuff and and i and i love the fact that it ends with this sort of um not really happy ending at all you know no. it's like we we did it we won i mean they even say that in there it's like yay we won yeah, harp harper size we won yeah yeah and 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 the way that he says it is just sort of like wow that that worked out so well for us great yeah. you know and the other thing on all these although that they are like nietzscheans nietzscheans basically are genetically engineered humans mm-hmm. so he's killing a hundred thousand of his own kind yeah, and and even even if it, that's not it, I mean, it's still not like they're some sort of like evil race of. I mean, they've they've got a Nietzschean on the ship, you know, mm. and then there's that whole thing and him struggling with you know having to kill his people just straight up, and whether or not that is the right thing to do. Where do his loyalties lie? And it's 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 a really heavy, deep episode, and it really gives you a lot to think about it. I mean, it's. It's it's very Star Trek in, in in a lot of ways, which I guess we'll get into in a second here. But uh, like there were some other episodes which I saw which which I thought were very very good, but but nothing came nearly as close to being as as good as this one. So how do you think this would have worked as as an episode of DS Nine? Well, if you put the fact that the Dan drama would be the Defiant, mm-hmm. um, 
the slipstream would easily be the warp drive so then we're all easy comparisons to make right um, and we, we do see an episode in DS9 where um, they do go back in time and basically there's a colony that's basically their own offspring yes so you know they do do something similar in DS9 um, which Geo says is one of the best episodes of DS9 so I guess we can uh, use that as as, uh, how, as as an example of how much salt we're supposed to, to take in, in terms of those uh, ratings yeah anyway, go ahead <laughs> um, but I would I would I would assess that the Nietzscheans would either have been the Jem'Hadar or it would have been um, Kira up against the Cardassians. Yeah, it's tricky because, I mean, the idea is going back in time to, you know, a battle in which you lost, essentially, but were not completely completely devastated as you would have been if there were you know three times as many ships uh, attacking so you would need to think of it as being like a conflict in the past probably before the series had even started so that to me would suggest it would be more of a Bajoran Cardassian thing mm. right yeah because the yeah, they've, been, they've been enemies for hundreds of years haven't they right so it would be something probably I, I would think like right at the start of the occupation, maybe you know the invasion of of Bajor essentially is what it would be. Yeah, so it would have been what fifty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if you do that, if it's the Cardassians, because then you start thinking like, well, which characters are which? And you know, I mean, I guess you would have Cisco as the main guy, but I mean, Kira would certainly be a central player. But then I imagine you would have Garrick there as well, and Garrick would be sort of the proxy for. Uh, the the Nietzschean on the ship who is uh, you know dealing with the fact that he might he's going to be killing a hundred thousand of his own people right yeah and that that's interesting it uh, probably that, would have been a lesser scale though wouldn't it because the Cardassians wouldn't have put a thousand ships in yeah I mean that 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 could very well be you know I mean like things like the you know the type of warp power or whatever that'd be used to get them back in time i mean those are all you know pretty much just like window dressing um but there there would obviously have to be i mean the, the to me the interesting thing is like yeah the characters and stuff like that like who, how uh, what, what are the the parallels between the two and and it is i mean i i can see it there, there's different ways that you could go with it and obviously i'm sure that the the script was substantially rewritten i i'm i'm really really curious to find out what the the real situation was you know what what wolf actually did come up with and and why it wasn't used too because i mean obviously it's a very solid concept it, i mean the the proof is is right here in this episode and maybe and, it was maybe it was like what the, the pitching of when it happened that could be i mean it could be that they just didn't never squeezed it in maybe if he stuck around for season six and seven it would have it would have happened Mm. Or maybe there's just some one little like logic problem that they could never figure out how how to make it work, and so, and because so of that. To put it the other way, then um, we obviously have the, the bit in this where uh, he's saying it's God's will. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're supposed to be here and stuff like that. So if you're going to go down the Kira path, would that then have been the prophets? Yeah, you could. You could say that. Yeah, for sure. It's possible that that's a, an element which was added later for Andromeda. Um, just yeah, because, yeah, but it yeah. does play more into a drama because 
you know we we know basically that Andromeda is um, in when we get to season five and it all gets wrapped up and all that we know that you know she's an avatar of the of a son and you know there's all religious concepts to it and stuff like that. But was that necessarily in? I mean, since that was in season five or whatever, do you think that that was in the uh, in in Wolf's mind when he was writing it? Yeah, I do because you have to be at the end of this episode where she clips the bonsai tree. I was wondering what that was about. Yeah, and she says that's better. Like, which makes me think that she took them there, mm-hmm. so it had to happen. And then she, the clipping of the bonsai tree is everything he's how it should be now. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I was wondering what that meant because I was confused by it. And and the last episode of Andromeda that I watched was um, was called Ouroboros, the the one where they're they're basically time shifting constantly mm. and then her future self comes and takes over for her present self and that to me was like whoa you know this is okay so I'm I'm really curious to see where the show goes from here but at the same time this is also right about the time that, that Wolf is leaving and it's like I don't know if I care then <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> it's like but just just to put it into context, you got to remember that that Trace is uh, an avatar of a son. Okay. And it it is established in the later seasons that the avatars of the sons are immortal, and they can travel through space and time. Okay. So I'll take your I'll take your word for that. Yeah. So <laughs> and it is actually like that because they're immortal and because they can travel through space and time, they can affect events. So again, that leads into the fact that Trance took them there. So this had to happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, just before we we move on, um, thematically speaking, do you, do you see any parallels to uh, Deep Space Nine? I mean, I think they're kind of obvious, but yeah, <laughs> they are kind of obvious. Yeah. <laughs> like, like to me, it, it's like this is very similar to like in the Pale Moonlight, you know. The idea of uh, the good guys uh, being faced with this this moral uh, quandary, where where they have to decide whether it's better to essentially sacrifice people for the greater good, you know, is does does a, a huge wrong support a a even larger right? And well, you can pie that into Cisco, um, Pale Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. he knowingly um, covers up uh, the murder of a Romulan senator. Yeah, in order to to get an entire planet into a war. Yeah, that they otherwise wouldn't have been in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I could easily see thematically this being a Deep Space Nine episode, and ultimately the the nuts and bolts of it, and and how the pieces would would fit into place are essentially inconsequential you know i mean they they could have made it work or maybe they couldn't make it work which is why it wasn't there but i mean it's it's a fun exercise to try to figure out like well how would it have worked but the the fact of the matter is like this is a story on a thematic level which totally could have been told on deep space nine and it would have fit in perfectly with that series and it's it's kind of cool to see this this alternate reality 
in which uh, it, it's told on a different series. Mm. It's an it's an interesting experiment. But but if you are a Deep Space Nine fan and you haven't watched Andromeda, uh, well, check out Andromeda. But also watch this episode. This might be a good uh, gateway episode for Andromeda because it comes really early in the series, and you can kind of watch it on its own and and enjoy it for itself. Obviously, it, it's it's much better if you look at it in the context of the whole series. But maybe this would be uh, that thing to to get you into the show. All right. So, any uh, final thoughts on Andromeda on the whole? Yeah, watch it. Struggle right. with it. You will struggle with it. It's like a lot of science fiction shows. Uh, some of it's a struggle, but the rewards are there. Um, and it's one of them shows. It's a lot like Babylon Five, where the payoff is in the last year. So anyone who's watched Babylon 5 knows you, you don't get the payoff in Babylon 5 until the last series when all the threads come together. Uh, yeah. But you will notice a significant change from season 1 to season 2. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I would recommend watching the show too. And I've only seen the first year and a half, but uh, I was uh, really impressed. You know, it's, it it does take a while to get used to because... Especially coming off of like Star Trek, you know, you're used to a certain um, production uh, level, and obviously they were dealing with a, a much smaller budget, and they oh, were oh god, yeah, that shows right, and and they were <laughs> they were probably a lot more ambitious than even Star Trek was in in some in some ways, you know, they they really pushed their their budget as much as they could. They got the the most bang they could possibly get for their buck. And you can't fault them for that. I mean, if anything, they're overly ambitious. But you know, that's not. I mean, <laughs> come on, you can't you can't knock them for that. Um, the tone is a little weird too, uh, but once you embrace that, it's it's not really a problem. And you, you know, once the, the the stories get get cooking, then you're, you're off and running. It's it's it's, it's really good. So definitely check out Andromeda. I'm planning on watching more of it myself, and I'm very curious to see where it will where it will go. So, it gets a bit weird. I imagine. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. It gets a bit weird. Okay. <laughs> so, Colin, you're uh, on melodic treks now. Last time we talked to you, you were doing trek news and views, but that thing ended, and now you got. Uh, the new show can you tell people what melodic tracks is yes melodic tracks is an exploration of the music of star trek so it's the opening themes the closing themes the incidental music uh, the background music uh, basically any piece of music that pops up in star trek is uh, probably going to turn up somewhere at some point so it's basically an exploration it's also the composers uh, and so on and so forth so it's all musical related to Star Trek. And so far we've done uh, the TOS theme and how it came to be. We've done uh, the Klingon battle music from the motion picture. And we've done Picard's flute music. Yeah. And it's a it's a bi-weekly show, right? Yeah. Because, because there's like a lot of research which, go, which goes on. Oh, I mean. yeah. It's, it takes um, <laughs> at least a week to put an episode together because there's so much research yeah I'm really impressed I don't even know where you come up with half of that stuff that's kind of insane 
but if you want to really get into the nuts and bolts of the music of Star Trek, definitely check out Melodic Treks. It's very, very thorough. And you can find that on Trek FM, along with all of these other shows. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Space Seed Commentary. And in this proposal, um, it opens up with Kirk and Spock playing chess. Um, and then Spock ch- actually cheats in order to win and gets caught and is a little bit embarrassed. Earl Grey. Civilians on TNG. I'd say that, uh, you know, the Enterprise is lucky to have Mott. He is the heir to the great bully in Applesauce Fortune. The Orb. Raising children on the station. It has sort of a big city, small town feel. In terms of population and size, it's that small town. But in terms of cultural diversity and the challenges that you face uh, as a parent and the things that your children are exposed to, it has more of that big city feel to it. The Ready Room. Remember me. The computer tells Beverly that there's a flaw in the ship's design as the warp bubble is shrinking. And I'm thinking, damn you, Starfleet engineers, why do you build a ship that's larger than the universe itself? To the journey! Season 3 Marathon. Not that I want to get too detailed here, but I'm wondering if that's all it would take if he mated with a human or if he would just have to use human form. But I just love right. it when when John Delancey's like, I was good, wasn't I? And then she's yeah. like, mm, yeah. <laughs> Warp 5. Prequel technology. You almost feel like photon torpedoes should have happened 50 years after Enterprise and they should have gone through three different kinds that you'd never heard of. Yeah. And I, it's, that seems more... Right real to me commentary trek stars future sport he's from the streets but he has he has left that life behind and like he has become like a sellout in a sense he's he's about the winning at all costs and not the true essence of future sport (laughs) literary treks editing star trek with margaret clark i try to make sure that the books are true to their theories, that if you're right. reading a Key West book, it feels like, okay, Bob Justman would have bought this story. He couldn't afford it, the effect, but Bob Justman would have gone into Gene went, you really should read this, this is good. Melodic Treks. The Klingon theme. Goldsmith's Klingon theme established an aggressive tribal atmosphere for the warlike characters. Goldsmith made it clear in an interview that he wrote the whole Klingon music with bad guys in mind. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. So we talked a little bit about Kevin Sorbo being on this show and and how um, my perception of him as an actor was basically uh, skewed by watching commercials of him uh, on on WGN here in Chicago for years and years and years and how that was not at all uh, um, reasonable of me to do that because he's much more talented than... Why am I I thinking of Anchorman? Anchorman? What? Yeah, and you said WG. I'm just thinking because you said the local. I'm thinking of Anchorman now for some reason. It's kind of like that. Oh, WGN. Okay. It's 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 gotten a lot bigger, but it's our our local Chicago 
um, superstation, I guess, if that means anything to you. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, after watching Andromeda, I'm I'm a lot more curious about Kevin Sorbo than I had been in the past, and uh, luckily on Audible, they've got Kevin Sorbo's uh, autobiography, True Strength: My Journey from Hercules to Mere Mortal, and How Nearly Dying Saved My Life, and since I listened to, to Track FM, I could get this book for free. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. So can the listeners. Yes, they can. You can too. It, it was written by Sorbo and it's narrated by him as well. And here's the description on Audible. On television as the star of the popular Hercules the Legendary Journeys, Kevin Sorbo portrayed an invincible demigod. He relished living the part, putting in 14-hour days on set, doing his own stunts, and relentlessly working out at the gym. Until one day it all came to an abrupt end. Now, for the first time, Sorbo shares what viewers didn't know. He suffered three strokes from an aneurysm in his shoulder, and was left partially blind and entirely incapacitated at just 38 years old. What? I did yep. not know that. Oh, I knew, again, I knew that. That's terrifying. Yeah. Oh my god. I can't wait. Completely changed his life and how he viewed things and and where he where he is now and the 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 charities he's involved in. It's all because of that aneurysm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to reading that. And and you can too. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek.fm. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Colin. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on most social media under C-O-L-M-H-01. So that includes Twitter and Google. Uh, but I'm more active on Twitter than Google. Yep. So Twitter is definitely the Trek FM preferred form of communication. Yeah, we're all on there. Yeah. <laughs> and you can find Melodic Treks on Trek.fm. Yep. And iTunes. And as always, you can find me on Trek FM, where I do Standard Orbit with Drew. And you can find me and Max on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do Commentary Track Stars off-topic with our friend Brandon. And you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. So thanks again for joining me, Colin. It's really been a pleasure. appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have someone to talk to. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I'd be talking to myself. I know. I do that. I do that on a lot of tricks. I know, and I don't know how you do that. That's insane. <laughs> I've done it twice, and both times it yeah. did not work out. Well, in all honesty, while I'm doing it, I've got I've, I've got a life size picture of T'Pol next to me, so I'm fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's good. That works. That's good. Yeah. So, <laughs> not, not really, folks. Not really. <laughs> I'll be back next week with Robert Hewitt Wolf's third 
television project, The Dresden Files. <laughs>